0: Well, let me add my appreciation to all the mothers out there. You know, with each passing year, um, my gratitude for moms continues to grow. It's a really tough job, for sure. It requires strong women, creative women, to solve all these problems um, with children. And so just want, hopefully, that all of you who are here in person, or those of you joining us online, all the moms out there, that you feel celebrated and honored today. So over the past few weeks, Paul has taught us that we can't live like unbelievers anymore with futile minds where our inner being is empty, perverse, devoid of truth, and depraved to the core, where we're darkened in our understanding, alienated from God because of the hardness of our hearts that have become callous and numb to sin giving ourselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's some really nasty crap to use Paul's words. So we must keep our spoons out of it, and we must stay upwind of that foul stuff, because those are those words that Paul uses to make this really clear in our minds. It's the old way of life, the way of that wide, dark path that leads to eternal destruction and Paul reminds us here that we have died to that old way that we're completely different now because we have been born again which hopefully causes us to experience a tremendous sense of relief and today Paul is going to begin by breaking down our response to being born again into two actions or two behavioral responses first Put off the old self, and second, put on the new self. A brief prayer before we begin. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we are not, make us. And what we have not, grant us. For Jesus' sake, amen. So let's start by reviewing our text once again for this morning. Paul writes, and holiness. So the part in orange up there is what we covered last week. And if you missed it, strongly encourage you to go to our website and check it out because in it, we began laying out the details of what it means to be born again. In short, when we place our faith in Jesus, we're born again into a new life in Christ. We leave that old life behind. We move from that wide, dark path onto that well-lighted, narrow one leads us through that narrow gate and into the kingdom of God. We essentially start life out all over again, regardless of our age, regardless of our status, our education level, or even the depths of darkness that we traveled when we were on that wide, dark path. Our sins are washed by that red drop of Christ's blood you see up there, and we receive the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And the reason he is within us is so that he can sanctify us and make us more like Jesus each day as he walks us hand in hand down that well-lighted path. It's the path to holiness, as we learned last week. And that path to holiness essentially has three parts to it. It all starts out when we are justified. That justification is what sets us apart to be God's people, it makes us right before him, and it happens when we place our faith in Jesus, and we are washed clean by that red drop of his blood. And then there's that second phase, which is sanctification, where the Holy Spirit is making us more and more like Jesus each day. That is the life of a believer. And then that third part, glorification. That is when we, all the sin in our lives is completely removed so that we can stand before our holy God and complete and perfect holiness. That is what it means to be born again. That is the path to holiness. So we simply, if we were on it, we simply can't behave as though we're still on that wide, dark path, because we're different now. There's a firewall of sorts between those two paths, so it's not possible for us to keep a foot in both worlds. We have a new identity in Christ, and we must behave differently as we grow up immaturity that's paul's word grow up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ so the first action or behavioral response that we have when we're born again is to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires those are these words that paul uses And it's helpful now to break this first part down into two parts. First, there is the action, the behavior response to our belief, it's to put something off. And then second, there's the object of what it is that we're to put off, the old self, which is described as corrupt through deceitful desires. So we're gonna work in reverse here. Let's first be very clear about what we mean by the object, the old self. Now, Paul taught us at great length about what the old self looks like, using words such as futile and darkened. Futile, which means empty, perverse, devoid of truth, depraved, and darkened because we were alienated, ignorant, callous, pursuing sensuality and impurity. And then Paul gives us a concise and detailed description of what lies beneath each of these Right here, in this text, corruption through deceitful desires. So this word corrupt means destroyed. And that's what happens when we're on that wide, dark path. It leads to eternal destruction. How? Through deceitful desires. Lusting after things that are based on lies or based on the absence of truth. It's a result of original sin, the sin of Adam and Eve that was passed down to all of us. Original sin is defined as the moral corruption we possess as a consequence of Adam's sin, resulting in a sinful disposition manifesting itself in habitually sinful behavior. It is the desire within us to lust after things that are not based on truth, they're based on lies. Recall those words of deceit Satan spoke when he, did, when he spoke to Eve in the garden. Did God really say that about the fruit on that one particular tree? God really doesn't want you to know right from wrong. He doesn't want you to be like him. And that was a lie that ultimately led to the desire or the lust to take a bite out of that forbidden apple, to sin against God. It's what subsequently led to man being tossed from God's presence And removed from the garden and it's what's placed all of us on the path to eternal destruction the very consequence of sin now of course as we know Jesus conquered sin on the cross and so those who place their faith in him have died to their sin and they're born again into a new life in Christ the old self is dead and so if you're born again sin no longer has a grip on you that's what we just sang about You're free from it. You've been made alive. And Paul's essentially saying, so start acting like it. Be what you are, a child of God who has been freed from the tyranny and bondage of sin. It reminds me of my freshman year at West Point. It's a year of significant oppression. You got this dubious rank of plebe, is the lowest rank out there. They take away your first name, so the entire year I was referred to as Cadet Lyle. You carry 25 credit hours a semester. You're up at 5 a.m. and you go hard until TAPS at 11.30 each evening. You move out at a relentless pace, pinging everywhere, squaring corners, hugging walls, hustling upstairs. You're limited to four responses. Yes, sir. No, sir. No excuse, sir. Sir, I do not understand. You memorize the front page of the New York Times every single morning, and you're quizzed on it all day long. Upperclassmen constantly scrutinizing your every single move. It's a tough year. But then in the spring, they hold a recognition ceremony, and they give you your first name back. They advance you from the dubious rank of plebe to the rank of yearling, and that's really not much better, but at least you're an upperclassman. You're no longer required to live in oppression. You're free from the tyranny of being a plebe. and yet, it took a while to start living as a free person again. Someone would ask you a question about why you did what you did, and you would respond with, no excuse, sir. I Always hated me, I hated it when I did that. You would head down the hallway, just to take a shower and you'd find yourself clinging to the walls and moving out really fast and squaring off corners and of course your classmates they'd bust your chops whenever they saw you doing this they'd say hey man knock it off Plebe beer is over and you'd shake your head and you'd think yeah i never have to be a plebe again and that's what paul's saying here knock it off stop living that way put off your old self his language evokes the image Of changing clothes we must put those old stinky nasty clothes off this is a call to action putting off the old self is our response to being born again we must do something and it's not just pray about it not that we shouldn't pray of course always be praying for strength and wisdom but this is also a call to do something to act to respond to put something off the old self. Far too often, whenever we have something in front of us that seems too hard, we we tend to refer to sometimes even those Christian platitudes we see on bumper stickers, things like let go and let God, as if to say, I can't do this, so I'm just gonna turn it over to God. But that's not what's happening here, right? We can't just say, oh, we'll just pray about it and let it go, because if that was the case, then you could boil the New Testament down to one word, just pray. But that's not what happens, that's not what we see. We have 27 books that exhort Christians to do something, to respond to this gift of grace, to stop making excuses, as Paul says, to start getting after it by putting off the old self. And then Paul moves from the negative of putting off our old self in the orange text to the positive of putting on the new self in the blue text with this absolutely vital transition, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So the transition from the old self to the new self is by virtue of a renewed spirit of the mind. Now, Paul's already showed us how these words, spirit of the mind, refer to the totality of our inner being, to the part of us that governs our behavior. It's where our beliefs reside. At the core of our inner being and when we're born again when we place our faith in Jesus marked by the sign of baptism we receive the Holy Spirit and we engage in a lifelong endeavor of being renewed in the spirit of our minds renewed is a word that's used in the continuous present tense so it's ongoing it's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit through the process of sanctification. And how this plays out in our lives is that we see a 180-degree flip now in how we're to behave. Hopefully by now we're all acquainted with the connection between belief and behavior and how they're intrinsically linked. You see, the old self allowed deceitful desires to govern the inner being where beliefs reside which is why the old self is marked by a life of nasty, foul, and sinful behavior. But the new self operates completely differently. It's so important that we see this. The inner being now governs the deceitful desires. Do you see that? That is a remarkable shift. It's profound in so many ways. It's monumental. That's why our beliefs in Jesus, when we're born again, they change absolutely everything because of what you see up there. We're no longer controlled by our deceitful desires. Our inner being has the ability to control those. And while we will still have deceitful desires, they lost their grip on us. Why? Because the spirit of our minds has been renewed because we've been born again. And while the change that occurred, being born again, is something that was done to us by God's grace, whenever we placed our faith in Jesus, Paul is now giving us our next steps. People always come to pastors and they say, all right, I've had this renewed sense of serving the Lord. How do I do it? What are my next steps? Maybe after you get baptized, what are my next steps? And Paul tells us right here, When we place our faith in Jesus, these are our next two things that we are to do, put something off and put something else on. We're to put off those nasty, foul clothes riddled in sin and put on a robe of true righteousness and holiness. Paul writes, because we are created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you see why? because this change of clothes, it's such a helpful illustration because you can't do one without the other. If you put off the old self without putting on the new, then you're just standing there in your birthday suit. That doesn't work, right? Similarly, if you leave the old stuff on and just put the new stuff on over top, you still stink because the old clothes are underneath. That's why it's such a helpful illustration. You see, the putting off of the old necessitates the putting on of the new. And to be crystal clear here, this process of putting off and on is not at all about our conversion. Remember, Paul's writing to the saints, to believers. So this is not about justification, it's about sanctification. It's because God did something for us. He justified us that we're then able to do this, to put something on and put something off be sanctified and it's not optional if we've been justified then we will be sanctified it's just part of being born again it's part of being on that path to holiness it's because we've been created after the likeness of God so we have become a new creation remember the old self was corrupt which means destruction but the new self is described as a new creation and creation means brought into being out of nothing so it's not make the old self better it's start completely over so Christians aren't people who are trying to live just a little bit better life than they did before no they're new creations in Christ and that's the stuff that revival is made of not a little bit better than before but brand new. And that's why it should cause us to experience such a sense of relief. So do you know that about yourself? That you are born new? That you're a new creation in Jesus Christ? That you are free? And if so, then put off that old self and put on the new self. Because we're made after the likeness of God. We're made in his image in true righteousness and holiness and those are three very staggering words the word true means fact it's as things actually are and God is the author of truth and truth is the exact opposite of this word deceitful how things are not Remember how Paul used that word to describe the old path? It's a result of deceitful desire, so it stands in complete opposition to truth. It's why when we're born again, we must be devoted to the pursuit of truth in every single aspect of our lives. Now this word righteousness means the love of all that's right and true, or things placed in the right order. It's where the inner being of a man is in control now of the deceitful desires and not the other way around. Where things are as they were meant to be, in a right balance, that's what righteousness is. It's being in a right position with God. And then holiness is in essence about purity, an outright rejection of sin and evil. It finds it completely repulsive. So when we put on the new self, we'll find ourselves pursuing true righteousness and holiness, pursuing the truth of God as He's spoken into being, as it's found in Scripture. Pursuing things in the right order so that we're right with Him, the way God designed them, according to His will. And third, pursuing all things that are pure. That is the picture of what it looks like to put on the new self. That is where our fascination lies When we're born again, it is with true righteousness and holiness. And in our next mini-series, which we'll start here shortly, Paul's going to dive into four very, very detailed and specific things that we all do so often, sometimes we're not even aware of it, that help us actually learn how to do each of these little things, putting something off and putting something on. But to be very clear about all this, just because we've been born again, it does not mean that we will never sin again. No, it means that when we sin, we'll find it nauseating, so much so that we'll confess, repent, and turn from it. That's why each week, when we say, it's okay to not be okay, we follow it up so quickly with that phrase, but none of us wanna stay in that not okay place. Because we can't imagine continuing to live like that in the filth and the nastiness of it all. It's so important that that is how our hearts and that's how we believe. We just can't stay in it, it's too repulsive. It's why living in sin is so problematic if you have been born again. You just can't do it. You can't stay, for example, engaged in sexual sin. Living with someone out of wedlock, it's just too repulsive because we simply cannot stand not being in a right relationship with God. And after all, that's why Jesus came, so that we might be renewed to a right relationship with the Father, so that we can be in his presence. It goes back to Jesus' teaching in John 3. Unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. So if you haven't been born again, ask, seek, and knock for God to make you a new creation. I don't know what you're waiting for. If you have been born again, you need to remind yourself of who you really are, that you're free. You gotta preach to yourself daily, not by repeating those heretical Christian slogans you see on bumper stickers, but by preaching to ourselves the truth of scripture it's why we're called to take up our crosses daily so that we take off the old self and put on the new self because as Paul makes crystal clear here we simply cannot profess a belief in Jesus and still live as though we're on that wide dark path and somehow conclude that we're saved of course this teaching today lies at the heart of the sacrament of communion, where we celebrate our new life in Christ. So we're gonna gather today at the foot of the cross so that we can celebrate and contemplate the depths of what it means to be born again. As the writer of Hebrews reminds us, there's never been the forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And under the new covenant, Christ's blood serves as the means to our forgiveness. It's why before Jesus went to the cross to shed his blood for you and me, he had a meal with his disciples, instituting communion between God and his people for all time. And that's why Paul instructs us before we receive the elements to examine ourselves. And none of us should sit here this morning and conclude that we are not worthy because we are all not worthy. That is for sure. But rather we are to examine ourselves to make sure that we're coming before Jesus in communion that we are doing so in humility, totally dependent on his grace, and in pursuit of holiness. So let's take a few moments in the quiet of our hearts to confess our sins, to accept his forgiveness, and to recommit ourselves in humble obedience to his service. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.